Uh, good morning. So great to be here uh, with you. And uh, yeah, I'm going to pray to get started and uh, we'll start there. Father God, just thank you so much for the opportunity to be with you this morning, Lord. Um, I know that uh, the, the Ott family, is uh, their, their hearts are heavy. God, they have uh, had a great man, great man go to be with you. And so, Lord, this morning I pray that you would just be near them, you would comfort them. And, and Father, it's always our prayer that when a great man goes to the grave, that others would step up in, in his uh, absence, Lord. And I know you're doing a great faith thing in Josh right now, but I pray you do a great faith thing in each one of us as well. Lord, we thank you for the legacy of Randy, and we ask that it be a legacy that would be lived on through each one of us. And so, Father God, um, this morning I pray that you would just speak to our hearts, um, Lord, that it would go past our ears, it would get to our soul. No matter where we've been this week, we'd be with you right now, and we ask that in your son's name. Amen. So, um, you know, first of all, I just love the fact that you guys are partnering with Tremont. Uh, Tremont's got a special place in my heart. My father passed away about three and a half years ago, and the, uh, he, he was at a retirement home in Tremont, and just some incredible people there. And I had a heart for that, that area, and uh, specifically that they'd have a, a chance to connect with our God. And so the fact that you're, you're doing a plant there is incredible, and I encourage you to keep praying with that. And thanks to, uh, to Josh for letting me be here. He's a, just an, an amazing guy um, and thankful for his friendship. And uh, yeah, just love that you're here doing what you're doing because I've been here myself. I stopped this morning and uh, you know just was early and I was praying at the ball field up the road. And that's where my, my son started to play t-ball. So uh, some special memories there. Uh, but today I want to talk to you about something. I want to challenge you about something. And uh, uh, so I'll start out with a question. Have you ever done something that was not very intelligent. Ever done something that was not very intelligent? Um, your laughter tells me yes. Uh, but, but you didn't even let me finish my question. Um, so have you ever done something that wasn't very intelligent and then you tried to solve it in a way that was even less intelligent? Like, so you started with, with dumb and it just, it just went downhill from there. Um, I'll tell you a story about that, about a friend of mine and I. We were in middle school and we were camping and uh, we were at Ricketts Glen State Park, and it was, it was me and him, and so some middle school boys, and we were, uh, you know, what, what do middle school, school boys do in the woods? They just make their own fun. So we got a box and a stick and a string, and we decided we were going to catch a, a chipmunk. We were going to trap a chipmunk, and for some reason that seemed like a good idea. And so we, we got it, we put some little bait there, and we had this box set on the stick with the string. And um, amazingly, within about 20 minutes, a chipmunk went and ran under it. And we were so surprised we didn't pull the string right away, but then we did, and the box fell, and it worked. And I couldn't believe that it worked, but we had a chipmunk there. And the second that we got done celebrating, we hear this voice of authority behind us say, do you boys know that it is illegal to harass a chipmunk in the state of Pennsylvania? And I turn around to see the park ranger who'd been watching the entire thing. Like, I had no idea it was illegal to harass chipmunks. I didn't see a sign. There was no sign for the chipmunks. But I'll tell you what, I'm a, I'm a rule follower. And at that point, I was scared straight. I'm never going to mess with a chipmunk the rest of my life. I've got a record of chipmunk harassment, and it's going to stop there, right? Um, and uh, my friend, on the other hand, he didn't get the memo. And so his, his spiral of not intelligent things 
goes downhill. And so he decided, well, now instead of trapping chipmunks, I'm going to throw an acorn and try and hit a chipmunk. And he did this um, unsuccessfully for most of the weekend. And then finally his sister got fed up with it and said, she said, if you do it, if you do it one more time, if you throw one more acorn, I'm going to tell on you, I'm going to report you. And that was it, right? That was the end. And so he says, fine. And he's got an acorn in his hand. He turns away from the chipmunk and he just throws the acorn over his head. And I'm not making up what happened next because that acorn flew 20 yards to the tree, hit the chipmunk on its head and knocked it off. <laughs> and I remember just looking at it with this stunned look of, A, I cannot believe that you just, that that worked. And B, what are you going to do now? And his sister goes, you better nurse it back to health. Um, and so then here's just the bottom of his unintelligent decision. He says, I know what to do. I'm like, How do you know what to do? You have no degree in chipmunk veterinarian work. <laughs> he says, we'll feed it Cocoa Krispies. <laughs> I'm like, it's unconscious. It's, and so obviously, very unsuccessfully, he tries to feed a chipmunk Cocoa Krispies to try to make his problem go away. Look, here, here's the reality. Every one of us, we've got problems in our life. We've got something that didn't go the way we wanted. Somebody didn't do the thing that we wanted. And so oftentimes we'll try to solve a problem with a ridiculous solution. We'll try to make something better in a way that is less intelligent than when we started. And I'm talking about that in our world, when something doesn't go our way, we typically respond with some version of drama. Some version of, I'm going to try to make this better, but really I'm going to make it worse. Somebody messed with me, so I'm going to complain about them. They made me feel something negative. I'll make them feel something more negative. They pushed me around. I'm going to push them around. I'll be distant. I'll hold a grudge. I'll take a shot at their reputation. We've all done some version of this. And what I need us to know this morning is that drama as a solution is as ridiculous as trying to feed a, 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 an unconscious chipmunk Cocoa Krispies. It is a ridiculous solution. Now that being said, I'm not up here and you're down here. I'm right here with you. I struggle with this every day just like you do. And so here's the reality. There's two realities that I'm working with this morning. Number one is the reality that every one of us has been a victim of somebody else's drama. Every one of us has been burned by somebody who talked about us in a way that harmed us. Somebody who was passive aggressive, but it was aggressive towards us and it hurt. We've all been a victim of drama, but likewise, every one of us in this room has at some place, at some time, instigated your own version of drama. We've all done it. We've all been that person who, instead of doing something healthy, we did something unhealthy. And so this morning, this morning, my goal is not to say, look at you, I'm not like you. My goal is actually to say, I'm right there with you. In fact, I've been right there with you so often that God has taught me so much about this that I want to teach you about it. I want to educate you. If you've been a victim, I want you to be healed of the damage that other people's drama has done to you. If you're an instigator, I want you to be free of a pattern of drama because it's an absolutely ridiculous solution to what's going on in your world. Um, and, and so we're going to look in Mark chapter 3. We're going to be uh, there in just a, a minute or two. But we're going to look at a story where, where Jesus, um, Jesus, and I love this about him, it doesn't get nearly enough attention. He just does not do drama. He is not a source of drama. Jesus is a source of grace, and he's never a source of drama. Um, and, and he sees drama for what it is. It's a ridiculous solution, and he offers grace instead. And I don't know about you, but that is so incredibly refreshing. 
When I read the scriptures and I see the way Jesus responds to the little kid games that are going all around him and how he acts in, in transparency and openness, I love it. Because in a world that wants to make the problems bigger, Jesus wants to make issues go away. He wants to resolve issues. He wants to love people. He wants to make issues disappear. And it's incredibly counterculture. And it would look shockingly different to the world around you today if Jesus were to act this way. And it's shockingly different in their world as well. So let's say Mark chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. I know we already prayed, but I have this thing where I like to pray after we read scripture. So let's pray again. Uh, God, this is your word. I pray that we would, we would talk about it in a way that honors what you intended us to see here that your son is straightforward, open, and gracious, and loving in a world that wants to talk about people, in a world that wants to assume things about people. And so, Father, please help us to mirror his love and live that out in your son's name. Amen. So I, I want you to appreciate the setting here, because they're in the synagogue. And the way the synagogue is set up is you've got this room, this, this kind of like this room right here, and you've got benches around all the outside. And so there would be people who sat on the benches, and there would be people who sat on the floor. The people who sat on the benches, who had the good seats, were always the religious leaders. They were the people in authority, and they would sit there, and they would look at the people on the floor who were the common people. And what do you think happened? The people on the outside talked about the people on the floor. And it became very similar to if you've ever been in a middle school lunchroom cafeteria. Because you had the cool kids, and then you got the kids who aren't on the in crowd. And they're talking about them, and it's just this, this, this setting where drama thrives like bacteria in a petri dish. And it's all over the place, and if we're not careful, drama will creep into our lives the same way. It'll creep into our homes, it'll creep into our workplaces. Um, and, and so I want, us, I want us to be educated on what a culture of drama looks like. We'll see it in the religious leaders, and then we'll look at a culture of grace, and we'll see it in Jesus Christ. And I hope you end up in one of those two categories, and I think you know which one. Um, so a culture of drama, it will, first of all, it will live on assumptions. It will live on assumptions. Because if you think about it, the religious leaders that day, they're not there to find out information they don't know. They're there to confirm information they already know. They've assumed who Jesus was. They assumed what he was going to do. They assumed why he was going to do it. They assumed that Jesus didn't belong, that the people on the floor didn't belong. They assumed that they were right and everybody else was wrong. There's no honesty here. They're not actually looking to learn from Jesus. And think about the drama in your own world. Think of the drama that people have put on you. How many times does your drama feed, is it, is it built on somebody else's assumption of you? Somebody figured you out. They knew why you did what you, what you did. They knew, they knew whether or not you, you were right because they were right and you were wrong. 
And so drama, drama, it feeds on these assumptions that somebody else, think about it, think of your drama, that somebody else looks at you and they say, you don't know what you're doing. You don't belong here. You're not as good. You're not as smart. I wouldn't have done it that way. You know why? Because assumptions and drama are all built on somebody being superior and somebody being inferior. We'll sit on the bench, you sit on the floor. We're better than you. You're less than us. Um, we will we'll be up here. You can be down here. And so they had it all figured out. They were right. Jesus was wrong. And they needed a healthy dose of shame. Like, here's the thing. It's particularly relevant for us in a church. Whatever, whatever place in life, superior and inferior, better and less than, whatever place it invades in life, wherever it shows up, everyone loses. So if you think about it in a church, what people from a community are going to want to go and check out a church that's filled with drama? What people within the church are going to serve in a ministry if it's got drama? What pastors are going to work in a, in a place that's filled with drama? No, drama pushes people out because of its assumptions. Drama says, I'm unhealthy and I don't care. And I don't care how this goes. But in an organization like the church, the health of the church precedes the success of the church. So we got to get this right. I'll tell you a story about one of the most refreshing human beings I've ever met in my life. His name's John Major. He's just an awesome guy. If he knew that I told you his name this, this morning, he'd be upset because he's that humble of a guy. He'd be like, just don't even mention me. But John was an incredible guy. We hired him at Susquehanna Valley Church for 10 hours a week to do IT work. 10 hours a week to do IT work. In three weeks, I let him run our staff meeting. I said, you, you, you're just an incredible, you, you go. You can do this better than I can. You run our staff meetings. Within three months, we, we went from him being employed 10 hours a week to being employed full-time 40 hours a week. We, we just stumbled on this incredible guy. Do you know what made him the most refreshing person to be around? He did not assume anything about anyone. And it was just, wow. It was incredible. Your motive could have been as clear as it could possibly be, and he would engage you in conversation as if he didn't have a clue about why you did what you did. It was so refreshing. He started every conversation in neutral. Do you ever start a conversation in first or second or third gear? And then you got to back up right away. Start our conversations in neutral. This guy was one of the most influential people in my life because all of us at the end of the day, look, we want influence. Drama just goes about it the wrong way. Drama looks for influence in a negative, hurtful way. And so the second thing that's true of a culture of drama is that it has people who talk, to, who talk about people, not to people. It's got people who talk about people, but don't talk to people. Right? Because this story in Mark 3 doesn't go like this. Jesus went into the synagogue. There was a man with his shriveled hands. And one of the Pharisees raised their hand and had a question. Jesus, I'm not sure. Um, it's a Sabbath. Looks like you might heal somebody that's kind of like taboo. Just wanted to give you a chance to explain why you're doing what you're doing. That's not Mark 3. Mark 3 is they figured it out. Jesus asks them a question. Is this, is this about doing good or evil? Because I know you guys are just doing your evil thing with drama over here on the side. What's the Sabbath really about? Is it about evil or is it about good? Because I'm going to do some good. And they remain silent. I mean, they do talk about him after he leaves the room, right? They make a plan for how are we, 
how are we going to kill him? How are we going to get him out of there? They went out and made plans. They remained silent so they could talk about him later. Look, we all struggle with this. All of us struggle with this to some degree because it is so much easier to talk about a person than it is to talk to a person. The guy uh, who I like to read, his name is Steve Cuss, and he writes this book uh, called, called Leadership Anxiety, Managing Leadership Anxiety. And he talks about how you create your own anxiety with drama conversations. You create your own problems. That's why it's a ridiculous solution to your problems, but you're creating more. You're feeding your own reasons for anxiety. And Steve Cuss talks about this. He says, we need to eliminate triangles. What are triangles? Is when there's three people in the conversation and one of them's not there. <laughs> three people in the conversation, one of them's not there. Hey, I, I need to talk to you about someone. I need to talk to you about someone. You know how good I am at this? I'm scary good at this because I disguise it. I disguise it. This is how I disguise it. You have your, your, you have your way, you disguise it, you clean it up so it doesn't feel like drama. This is how I do it, right? Like, hey man, I just, I need to talk to you guys this morning about Pastor Scott. Um, See, and here's, here's my word. This is my word. I'm just really concerned about him. I'm not concerned about him. If I was concerned, I'd be talking to him. But I'm not concerned. I'm concerned about something else, my angle, my perspective. And so I'm talking about Scott. Right? And, and so look, if we are talking about a person, we've most likely missed God's prompting to talk to a person. We've got to eliminate... Triangles. I tell my staff this because the health of a church staff precedes the health of the church. And so I, I tell my staff, you've got two choices when it comes to drama on your heart. You move on or you move on it. You move on it or you move on. You decide to go have a conversation with somebody else or you just move on from it. Move on it or move on. Because the drama that's in our church, that's in our world, is the same stuff that's been happening for centuries to people. None of us are, are dealing with anything that's new. We've all got an Aunt Susie that's causing some sort of drama. We've all got some issue coming up for Thanksgiving about who's going to bring the stuffing or where you're going to have it or, or who did what and who said what. We've all got this. There's nothing unique. You want to be unique? Move on it or move on from it. Right? Drama talks about people. It doesn't talk to people. And I need you to get this, and here's why. Because if you don't, You'll end up just like the Pharisees where drama will win and a culture of drama will win. And you know what is so tragic about a culture of drama winning? If drama wins, it shuts down rejoicing. It shuts down rejoicing. Imagine that morning that you were the man at the synagogue with the shriveled hand. You would have for decades struggled with that injury. It would have kept you from a normal career. Every time somebody met you and they reached out to shake their hand, it would have been awkward for you to step back. It would have been hard to do just regular menial tasks in life, let alone the shame of dealing with that. Jesus, in, in one instant, stands up and says, stretch out your hand, and you're healed. How incredible. And then to stand back and be angry at him? Wow. This is amazing. Drama, drama will shut out your ability to rejoice. Because you ask the question, what's going on in their hearts? What's going on deep down? See, I, I don't think their hearts had room to rejoice because I think their hearts were too crowded out by bitterness and cynicism. 
I think they were just filled to capacity with all kinds of anger. Scripture like goes out of its way to point this stuff out again and again. Because what goes on in your heart is so incredibly important. So like Matthew 21, Jesus is doing incredible things. Little kids are coming up to him. The, the temple is filled with little kids. That's a good thing, right? Jesus is praying. He's healing the lame. He's healing the blind. Matthew 21, it says that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they saw all the wonderful things Jesus was doing and they hated him. So all the wonderful things he was doing, and they were indignant, they were angry, they hated him. 2 Samuel 6, one of the most amazing stories in Scripture, where it's showcasing this incredible worship scene, where God is, is center again in the nation of Israel, and everybody in the nation is singing and dancing and worshiping, except for one person. And the story kind of goes from the nation and the national celebration to one woman in a window whose heart is miles away from what's going on. And she's bitter and she's angry because things didn't go her way. And she had no capacity to celebrate because her heart was too filled with drama. I have a cabin in upstate Pennsylvania and, and last year about this time I went up, uh, went up there with a buddy of mine and, and we stopped in to grab a, a bite to eat in this little town and you know when they like salt the roads because a winter storm's coming? It's kind of hard to see where the white lines are on the road. Um, and, and so that was the case. I pull out of the, the restaurant and, uh, and I pull onto what I thought was like the, the road. And I pull up behind this guy and you, you can see the picture. So I would have been behind the truck um, in this scenario. And I'm sitting there having a conversation with the guy in the passenger seat. And we're talking. We're having a great time. And after a little bit, I'm like, this, this guy in front of me is not going anywhere. He's just like, he's, the light has changed. And my buddy, he goes, well, see, um, that's because the guy in front of you is just a parked car. <laughs> We're actually on the, the side of the road. It's called the shoulder. And over there is where the people who want to drive, that's where they go. And so if you want to make it through the light, you just go up there and then, then they'll let you go ahead. But the parked car is not going to move. Thank you. I took the picture so at least you could see like, this is another trip I, I knew I was going to talk to people about. I was like, you could see how I made that mistake, right? Please, at least make me feel a little bit better, right? <laughs> I would have been sitting there all day. I would have been stuck there all day because that car's not going anywhere. <laughs> Drama is a stop point for your joy. It is a roadblock. It's an obstacle. It's a standstill. You're not going anywhere to rejoice about anything when drama's in your heart because you only have so much space. And Jesus comes in and he sees it and he's angry. Of course he's angry because nobody is celebrating this incredible work that he's doing. We're just stuck behind the drama roadblock. And this guy is healed. It's amazing. And all they can do is just be in more entrenched in their anger. They're so jaded that they lost the ability to notice anything good God was doing right there in front of them. Like this, is, this is my plea for you this morning. Don't get there. If you're there, man, back up, go around. Move on it or move on from it because the saddest hearts I've ever seen are always drama-filled, bitter hearts. And it's sad when we miss the beauty of what God's doing because in a world filled with drama, Jesus is a source of grace. He's a source of grace. 
And so however you envision Jesus, whatever your picture of him, however you kind of draw that caricature in your mind, I, I want you to, as part of that, account for the fact that in a world filled with drama, Jesus is all about grace and he creates a culture of grace. Well, how does he do it? Culture of grace, he creates it when he stands up to drama. When he stands up to drama, Jesus walks in that morning, he knows what's happening. He knows the thoughts of the people on the benches. He knows the dynamics of everybody's waiting for him and it's a Sabbath and, and they're ready. They've had their conversations beforehand. And so Jesus goes up to the man and says, why don't you just stand up? Like in front of everybody? Yeah, just go ahead, stand up in front of everybody. Um, hey everybody, what do you think this day is about? Is it about like doing evil things, like talking about people, like making plans to kill people? Or is this about good? I think it's about good, so uh, buddy, why don't you just stretch out your hand? You're healed in front of everybody. There's no, there's no closet conversation. There's no shadow operation. Jesus in his boldness is unashamed to be gracious in the face of drama. And that is incredible news for those of us who have been victors of drama. Because Jesus is looking to protect us. Because maybe you've been a drama victim that's been pushed around. Maybe somebody else got the promotion you wanted because they did something shady. Maybe somebody stepped on top of you to get where they wanted to go and they talked all about you. and You were less than them and they judged you. Maybe that person was somebody even in a church. I don't know, but I do know they didn't look anything like Jesus Christ. Because the good news is, for those of us who are drama victims, the grace of Jesus Christ stands up for you. And it takes your identity and says, this is who you are from my perspective. And what anybody else has ever said or ever thought about you is irrelevant. Because my grace stands up for you. Which is why we're called to do the good thing, not the easy thing. That's what grace does. In a world filled with drama, it does the good thing, not the easy thing. What's the right thing to do? Is it good or, or is it evil? What's the right thing to do here? What's the right thing to do in your world? When drama shows up, what's the right thing? It might, might bring about conflict. It might be difficult. It might mean forgiveness. But what's the right thing to do? And if you're going to do this, if you're going to be grace-filled in the drama world, i got to warn you, it's going to be harder than you think. And here's why it's going to be harder than you think. Because in order to be successful at being gracious in a drama-filled world, you cannot be concerned about other people's drama infringing upon you. You can't. It is what it is. I cannot control what you think about me. I'm going to leave today. You might at your lunch conversation say, I can't believe that guy made that mistake at the parking. I can't believe you preached that way. I can't control that. Say what you will. I'm going to let drama be what it is. I'm not going to be consumed with it. In other words, we're going to let the chips fall where they may. It's an interesting statement. Whenever I hear a statement like that a saying, I always kind of picture what I think that it came from because I, don't, I, I didn't know where chips fall where they may. I didn't know where they came from. I assumed it was about poker. I assumed it was a bunch of guys playing poker and somebody was like, let the chips fall where they may. But then I was like, you'd be a really bad poker player if that was your attitude. You would just lose all the time. So that's probably not where it came from. So I looked it up. Thank you, Google. Um, and, and I found that it's a phrase that comes from the 1800s for people who would be logging, who would be cutting wood. And so they say, let the chips fall where they may. So you get this rookie lumberjack who comes in, comes up and says, you guys are cutting that tree, tree down, but, but where are the chips going to go? And you just feel this old seasoned lumberjack. He's wearing flannel and suspenders. That's what he does. 
And he says, son, let me tell you something. You let the chips fall where they may. Why? Because the tree falling, that's the important thing. We focus on where's the tree going to fall? Chips are going to fall. We're not worried about chips. They're going to come and they're going to go. We don't consume ourselves with the chips. We worry about the tree. The tree is grace. We worry about grace. How's grace going to show up in your life? We're not so worried about the drama that other people... Let the chips fall where they may. We're going to live grace. Let drama fall wherever it goes. I'm not going to be affected by it. Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 7 is such an incredible text. It says, God holds success in store for the upright. So somebody brings their drama to try to, try to undercut your success, they can't touch it. Because your success is not in their hands. Your success is in the, the hands of the God who holds it. He is a shield for those who walk as blameless. Everybody else's drama is trying to blame you for something, and the blame never, ever, ever reaches the ears of your God. And that's where we set our hearts. For He guards the course of the just and protects the way of His faithful ones. See, grace is life-giving. And drama is going to try to steal life from you, but grace is life-giving. So I want you to give life to others. I, I know people might be, be bringing drama at you from every angle, and I want you to bring grace in response. I mean, you read the New Testament, you don't go two pages without Jesus getting somebody's drama about something. I dare you to. Read the book of Matthew. You're going to you, you'd be like, wow, every other page there's drama from somebody. And every time Jesus responds in a gracious, truthful way to point them to what they need to understand. I mentioned, uh, or Scott mentioned that I lived in Lake Winona for, for 12 years. When I was living here, in the middle of that time here, I discovered this little gem in the middle of Haven. This place that I wish was open today, but it's not. And I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about plain and fancy donuts. <laughs> Which I don't know if they get shipped directly from heaven or if he just gave them the recipe. But my goodness, those things are incredible. And, and, and I, look, I've been to the Haven football games. I don't understand how your linemen aren't all 300 pounds. They could walk. It's 127 St. Charles Street. You could walk there after practice, get a donut. They're incredible. See, when I lived here, that was like the thing where like you would get that donut and give it to somebody, and that was like, you, you just made their day. That was the smile on their face when you gave them that donut. It was incredible. Look, if you think a donut changes lives, how about grace? Let the grace of Jesus Christ be something that you give to a world filled with drama. Let it be, let it be a gift that you offer to your family members. Some of the most incredible relationships have come after somebody's brought drama to my life and I said, I love you, but that's not accurate. I love you, but that temper kind of seems out of hand. I love you, that's not fair. I'm going to bring grace to a world filled with drama. A young man who blew up at his brother in church one time, and I pulled him aside and said, I love you, but that temper is going to wreck your life. Four years later, that young man who'd heard hundreds of my sermons and lessons tells his mom the most meaningful thing I ever said to him was, I love you, but that temper is going to wreck your life. Because grace in a world filled with drama is life-giving. And so here's my challenge. That you would respond to drama in your life with an opportunity for intimacy. That you respond to drama with an opportunity for intimacy, for genuine relationship. Because drama is a savage, savage enemy to our most precious commodity, which is intimacy. 
See, God created each one of us. We're all unique, but we all want the same thing. We're all unique, but each one of us craves healthy, loving, trusting relationships where we can have peace and we can have openness and we can have transparency. That's what we want. And drama is straight up an enemy to an intimate relationship. It'll try to steal from you what you so deeply, deeply desire. It'll take it from you. I've got two boys. They're up in kids' ministry right now. So if you hear any fighting, I take responsibility for that. I got a 10-year-old and I got a 7-year-old. And the 7-year-old, um, I, I love him to death. He loves to wrestle. That's all he loves to do. That's it. Um, if, if I'm using a cane and a walker by the time I'm, I'm 50, that's why he won. Um, he typically does win. But when he wrestles, he does not want to wrestle just like straight up wrestle. He wants to pretend to be like an animal. I'm an animal. He's an animal. And then we'll just kind of wrestle in that reality. And so, so he'll be like, I'm a bear. And I'll be like, uh, and then he'll be like, Dad, you can be a mouse. I'm like, that's not fair. <laughs> At least let me be house cat. I got a chance, right? And so we do this a lot. And one day, one day, I think I got him, right? I think I got him. So he says to me, Dad, Dad, let's wrestle. I said, okay, but what animal are you going to be? He goes, I'm going to be a gorilla. That's pretty good. They're actually really scary. And I said, I got it. No, I got my animal. He says, Dad, what are you going to be? He goes, and I go, I'm going to be a poison dart frog. And he laughs. He's like, this is nothing. And then he goes, wait a second. I can't touch you, can I? He's like, no, you can't. You touch me, you lose. And he's like, oh, man, you won. And he goes, I changed my animal. Well, what are you going to be? And he goes, I'm a poison dart frog too. You know what? We've been burned by drama. We've touched the toxins on other people. So we turn into poison dart frogs ourselves. We got a whole bunch of toxic sitting on top of us, ready to hurt people who might hurt us. And the love and kindness and mercy and compassion of Jesus Christ says, I love you so much you can wash all that right off. I love you so much that you don't need somebody else's love to feel loved. You don't need somebody else's acceptance to feel like you're accepted. You don't need to belong to belong because you belong to me. So let me wash what is toxic off of you so you can respond to a world filled with drama with the incredible life-saving grace of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our God and Father, I pray you do a work this morning in our hearts. Not a work where we like write something in the sand and the waves just wash it away. I pray you do a work where it's set in stone like you wrote it in concrete on our hearts. That we need to be a people of grace, not drama. Lord, you are so incredible. I think of the way you listen to prayer after prayer after prayer. And Lord, you see the motives in our hearts so purely. And you beg us, you invite us to come close to you. Lord, we're the ones with the, with the toxins all over us. And you do nothing but love us so incredibly well. Lord, let that be true of our relationships with those in our lives. In your son's name we pray, amen.